The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Alright, that was like a, just one beat too late. It was? Yeah. Was my raised eyebrows instead of the point on time? That was okay. Okay. But I think you were just, you are in your head too much on that. Was it all the perfection talk that before the show? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll edit all this out later. <laughs> yeah, it'd be perfect. Three, two, it's that time. It's the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network, off to a hot start. I'm your host, Jay, here at the Brewing Network Studios in rainy downtown Concord with Bevo. Hi, Bevo. <laughs> yes. Hi. <laughs> We have great food here at the Brewing Network Studios, and mm-hmm. Steve's got a mouthful of it. Chili? Gumbo. 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 Wow. That's pretty good. Pairs well with sour beer, Viva. No. Or whatever that is. Seltzer? Great. We've graduated Seltzer from... Water. Uh, we've graduated from, I really like it, but I can't drink it because of heartburn, to just full-blown face-making at the mention of sour beer. This yeah, is a just, sad turn of no, events. Yeah. It's like, I don't even know you anymore, man. Well, you changed. Sorry. Sorry. And hey, Scott. Hi. Great show tonight, as it always is. Tonight's guest, Bootleg Biology, the East Lab. We have Jeff Mello, Isaac Brannan, and Sam Winneka. Uh, so get involved. We've got uh, a lot of cool beers and cool stuff to talk about. Great yeast available and some cool culturing programs. And got a lot of response, a lot of questions for these guys. So, uh if you'd like to join in, call us, 888-401-BEER. You can join us in the chat. Bevo will be eating, but she can type. <laughs> she, will, she will have at least one free hand to type. Some crumbs on the keyboard, but yeah. no worse for the wear. Hey, one you, finger. You Got know, it. <laughs> people are, uh, each guest, uh, I feel like, is like better than the next, you know? People are, I, I read comments, I get emails. People are excited for the, these, who books these shows? It's just good guests. I'm, I'm saying they're good guests. We have guests. great producers. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Man. Only the best. <laughs> Yeah, it's like we're finally hitting our stride here, you know? Episode 78 or sounds, so? Sounds right. Something like that? Yeah. You know, hey, these things take time, okay? Chemistry just doesn't just happen. Yeah. Well, no, we, we've hit it off from the beginning. I feel but... like chemistry does just happen. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, think, I think you might be wrong. I think I think I got a C-minus <laughs> in chemistry, so I don't know. I have no idea. But I guess I'm a brewer, so I should yeah, know. Yeah, you, you figured it out in your adult life. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. But yeah, so uh, 78 episodes in, killing it. But thank you for the feedback and continue to give us feedback by emailing us, scott at thebrewingnetwork.com. Jay, that's me at thebrewingnetwork.com. You can watch us live on the many recording devices in the studio right now, thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV. And I'll, also Facebook. Oh yeah, and yeah. I just learned about that. We're streaming live on We're Facebook. Stream- so is that Facebook Live then? I think if you, um, I, I shouldn't start sentences with I think. I actually know this. Um, if you just go to the Brewing Network, our homepage, or our, our Facebook page, and you scroll down, if we're live, it, it doesn't post for whatever reason. But if we're live, you can watch it. There you go. It, it's just streaming straight to our Facebook page. Facebook.com slash Brewing Network. <laughs> Stuff. I think. I think. I actually know this, though. 
<laughs> I mean, I, if, if you went you know, to Facebook uh, you know right now, it. you would you be able to see this. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Excellent. So go on to Facebook. Other live things to do. Listen live. Brewing Network app. Search BN Mobile. Wherever you search for that kind of stuff. You can subscribe and leave feedback on... You know, I keep saying iTunes, but I guess now it's the podcast app, the Apple Podcasts, right? Yeah, either one, but yeah, m- most people are, are accessing it through the podcast the app. The podcast yeah. app, yeah. Okay, so do that, and then, uh, yeah, do we have, do we have any feedback? Oh, uh, we do, actually. While iTunes is loading... While you do that, Scott, yes. I'm going to mention Sour Hour t-shirts are yes. on the website, so log on. Brewingnetwork.com slash Sour Hour t-shirts are in the shop now. <laughs> There's a couple dashes and HTTPs in there. It's uh, in the store. Uh, Brewingnetwork.com slash store. Store. And you will see them in there. And they're Mm -hmm. cool looking. And the the logo's really cool. Yeah, it's great. The the newish logo. Yeah, if you've noticed on your podcasting that the logo has changed, that's the same logo that's on the shirt. And uh, I've seen some around. Yeah, I saw some. uh, We had a... And ambassadors of Sour, our uh, Sour Beer Club at the Rare Barrel. We had a party, and there were some people there wearing the Sour Hour t-shirt. So that was really awesome to see. Awesome. All right, so a review of the week. We shall start with, I guess it's actually a very simple, it'll just take a second to uh, read. It is from Sir Supa Dave. Sir Supa. Supa Dave. Dave. The Sour Hour, and then it's the uh, eggplant emoji. And then it says the session, and it's the poop emoji. Nice. I'm not really sure. Does that mean we're giving him a chub? Is Justin still here? Can, can we show no, him that one? He, he took off, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, the, the eggplant, does it mean what I think it means? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. So uh, Sir Super Dave really whoa. likes us. Like, yeah, that's really great. Likes what was the song that he suggested? He didn't. Okay. Yeah, literally, it just is the Sour Hour Eggplant, the Session Poop. Great. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you. Sir Super Dave. Sir Super Dave. Keep the reviews coming. And remember, you can make a rejoiner suggestion in your review. Yeah, we love those. We're both into music, and the music's been great, all the suggestions so far. So don't let us down. Agreed. Don't Let Me Down by, what is it, Electric Light Orchestra? Maybe I'll, that'll, just, uh, that'll be my suggestion in place of... Sir Supa Dave's. Is it yellow? You're saying I think, but you actually know it's Electric Light Orchestra? That's a good one. You know this? Oh, of course. Yeah. I'll do my uh, quick read on over the over this bed. Okay. The Brewing Network Spring Brews Festival is coming up. The ninth annual. We're closing in on a decade of Spring Brews Fests. Although nine is going to be great. Oh, yeah. Don't look forward to the tenth. No, no. Go to the ninth. Just just illustrating how many of these freaking things we've done. <laughs> yeah, no, the ninth but is But this one's special, ass. though. That's, that's right. Let's see, I'm helping you. Number nine is uh, important. So anyway, uh, it's coming up Saturday, uh, Saturday, March 31. That's in just, uh, what, a week and change or so. Next, 60, a week from this Saturday. A week from Saturday, yep. Yeah. 60 Bevo's, Bevo's stoked. <laughs> no, you're fine. I'm just having a heart attack. If you buy a ticket, Bevo gets a raise. No, that's absolutely not Every true. Every ticket you buy, Bevo gets a little cut. So Bevo gets a cut. Support Bevo by supporting the Brewing Network <laughs> and support yourself because there's going to be lots of amazing breweries there. 60 plus from last 61 I heard. 61 are confirmed. Like Boom. who? Like the Rare Barrel. <laughs> Kaboom. <laughs> uh, and uh, I know Russian River's going to be there, mm-hmm. right? And Cellar Maker and Alvarado Street and all of our California favorites. And, yep, and, and well Society beyond. and blah, blah, blah. Um, also, we are very close to selling out, which is 
has actually at this point never happened. I mean, uh, this early, this yeah, early, sure. it's never happened. Ooh, yeah. So, if you want to go, buy a ticket. Well, well there it's you go. A really, really great fest. And so, not only will you secure yourself a ticket for what a for what might be a sellout here, but uh, it's actually cheaper, right? The pre order is forty bucks. It's fifty at the door. So uh, just get them now and uh, save yourself the uh, day of headache. Anyway, it's going to be awesome. Great. What do you food. get? What do you get for the forty bucks? It's unlimited ports. No. Un- un- unlimited ports. $40. That is right. That's pretty so sweet. So it's, it's a banging deal. There's also going to be great uh, food and live music, and uh, it's always an awesome crowd. The music's always very entertaining. Are we, what are we doing, Beav? Is uh, Jimi Hendrix coming back? Uh, we don't have Jimi Hendrix this year. Oh, we have... No. Um, we do... I think we do Jimi every other year. Oh, but really? we have... Um, You're bringing me down, Beav. Static and Surrender? Schumann's Band? Do they play oh, cool. Don't Let Me Down? It's Schumann's Don't band, probably. Bring me down. Don't bring me down. Um, and then another another band has been confirmed, but I don't know the name. So I know we'll have two. We have eight food vendors confirmed. Sweet. Anyway, it's going to be a great time. So uh, come on out. Saturday, March 31 in downtown Concord, Toto Santos Plaza, and uh, have fun with us at the 9th Spring Brews Fest. And don't bring me down. Oh, Please, I thought- don't bring us down. Check out the last show. We had J.C. Tetro from Trillium Brewing Company in Boston. Great beers from him. And they also are world-renowned for their hazy IPAs and cans. But hashtag respect the sour program from yeah. Trillium is, too. Oh, man. You they know, were that was great good. beers. Wow. Updates since the last show? Nothing, because it was like 10 days ago. <laughs> yeah. So I Just think did it. that's it. Should we do a question yeah, before a break? Question. Yeah, let's do it. And I'm going to mention, Scott, that this question and all questions are brought to you and us by Dr. Lambic and his team at SourBeerBlog.com. Check out the articles on Sour Beer Blog for a great written reference devoted to teaching you how to brew and blend sour beer at home. And now the Sour Beer Blog crew is opening up a new brewery and taproom in central Pennsylvania. Thank you guys for also buying those uh, Mellow Mink Club memberships and supporting Dr. Lambic and his pursuits there. If you want to know more, check out Mellow Mink Brewing at MellowMink.com. This is a question from Jake. Jake is an assistant brewer up there at uh, Secret Trail Brewing Company. And uh, Jake writes in. He says, I hope you're well, guys. Yeah, I have a quandary. I'm an assistant brewer, and I have access to lots of clean beer at little or no cost, and I'm interested in mixed fermentations. Not to mention, I think it's important for the brewery that I'm working at to at least consider this route in the future. So I think he wants to do a little uh, experimentation ahead of a possible program there. Given that the owner brewmaster doesn't find these styles compelling, I have taken it upon myself to start to try them at home. Most recently, I pitched the bottle dregs, which he says is about five ounces of the beer, from a Smog City bottle of Benny and the Bretts into a one-gallon jug of our Kolsch. My question is, is this a valid use of my time? Or should I be focused on <laughs> should I be focused on taking unfermented wort and going fully mixed culture the whole time? Any tips on how to get good results from secondary fermentations with non sac cultures would be greatly appreciated if this is a valid route. He says, by the way, I love the show and the rare barrel. My trips to the bay aren't quite comfortable without stopping by your sour shack. They're up in Chico. He says, look us up next time you're in Chico. I actually heard they just opened in uh, Chico. Yeah, I've heard of them. I'm going to forget the last question there about the primary fermentation with mixed culture, but let me start by saying, yeah, I think this is a common situation in a lot of breweries. I know sour beer is getting a lot more popular, and so many breweries are taking that plunge, but I think it's a great idea to use your existing styles and just inoculate them with your dregs 
But the, well, they're not his dregs. Well, I, the, whatever you're building up, I know, is from uh, Smog City. Porter down there is a great brewer. He makes really good sour beers. Yep. Shout out to Porter. Yeah, And Porter. hopefully he doesn't mind that you're <laughs> all <laughs> yeah. up on his dregs. Totally. But. I, yeah, email us if you're not. I would love to hear a rant from someone who's not We'll get you both okay on the phone that. at the same time. Exactly. It's going to make great podcast indeed, radio. Indeed. No, in all seriousness, I think the most realistic route in that sort of scenario where, you know, maybe the head brewer is, you know, not super motivated to, to make sour beers, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, who am I kidding? There's everything wrong with that. <laughs> what am I saying? But uh, <laughs> Come on, man. But I think that's a good way to start because you can, you know, it's not out of uh, – out of the stream, the the production flow that is already going, and you can just take, you know, maybe you have a 10-barrel system or something, you take one oak barrel of Kolsch after it's done fermenting, and then you throw it very far away from wherever the brewery is, you know, get a gravity fill bottler, and that's how a lot of people start. Hopefully, you're at a brewery, and it sounds like you are, that makes styles that are good for that. I think Kolsch is great. Whip beer, I think Hefeweizen could be great. You know, other breweries make just all IPAs and pale ales and stuff like that, and it could be a little bit harder. Yeah, so sure. Doing the wort inoculation, I think that might be a little more problematic just because how do you scale that up, basically? Because you know, maybe you can do that in a carboy, but after that, you're going to need a tank. And where's that tank going, and where are the resources to do that? You can get it in oak, you know, four oak barrels pretty cheap, and that's a that's starting a sour program. You wait six or twelve or eighteen months till the beer's ready, then you invest in the bottler if it turns out to be good, and you know the head brewer gets on board. Or just put it on tap, right? If you got a tap room there at your brewery. Yep. Yeah, yeah for sure. Just put it into kegs, and those are your sour kegs now, and then refill the barrels with uh, your coals or something else, and go from there. So that would be my recommendation. What was the last part about? primary mixed culture should i be focusing instead on taking unfermented wort and going fully mixed culture the whole time oh. as opposed to fermented clean beer first i mean that's a good way to build your culture but ultimately i think a lot of the sour beer that's being made is saccharomyces primary fermented now there's plenty of breweries i think jester king is a good example where they just have a mixed culture that they're reusing all the time. Everything that's going to be in that beer is in there up front. But then again, the Saccharomyces is dominant in that mix. So it's not exactly six and one half dozen the other. It's just I, I, w- I would do the take advantage of pulling off some of your coals or whatever and doing an inoculation like that. Start in carboys and then move up to barrels if it works. And then that'll that'll just kind of help him learn to manage the, the fermentation, you know? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that'd be the benefit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Good question, though. Yeah. And good luck. Yeah, thanks, Jake. Um, and, uh, yeah, do we do we ever go up to Chico? When was the last time you were in Chico? Uh, well, pretty recently, actually. Uh, went up there, met with their barrel guys and, uh, like, innovation brewers and did a whole tour up there, hung out, got some drinks, got some dinner. Yeah, love going up to Chico. There you go. Yeah, now uh, Sierra is not the only place to go in Chico anymore. Yeah, Chico's a great beer city. So. Yeah, for sure. Let's take a break, and then we'll come back with Bootleg Biology. You're listening to The Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Hi, this is Ryan Whedon, the host of a new podcast called Branding Brews. Branding Brews is a show focused on marketing, branding, and design for the beer industry. 
I have spent over 14 years as a professional designer. As a host, I bring my knowledge to the show to interview other great beer professionals. Whether you're thinking about starting a brewery, already own a brewery, want to learn more about marketing beer, or you're a seasoned veteran, this show is for you. This show will cover topics such as rebranding a brewery, package and label design, crowdfunding, design, social media, plus much more related to promoting and creating a great beer brand. Make sure to check out the show along with useful show notes at brandingbrews.com. You can also subscribe to the Branding Brews podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Again, check us out at brandingbrews.com. Hi, this is Rudy, the brewmaster from Rodebach. You listen to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. We're back. It's the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Sour Hour is brought to you by the Wine and Hop Shop, Scott. Wineandhop.com. This would be a good time to get some beers, I think. Oh, you kept I'm just going to pretend, pretend like you're here. <laughs> you're trying to give me a hint? <laughs> fly, fly. Thank you. Wineandhop.com. It's where to get your sour beer, wild yeast, and bacteria from Omega Yeast and Giga Yeast. Most items ship within 24 hours. And best of all, BN listeners in the continental United States get $8, a flat $8 shipping rate on orders under 25 pounds. Just enter BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart, and the discount will be taken off after checkout. The Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com. And while I'm at it, I want to encourage you all to listen to the other fantastic BN shows, Brew Strong, Dr. Homebrew, Brewing with Style, and The Session. And since Scott isn't back yet, I'm going to continue to just do my job and say, have you guys registered for or gotten a ticket for HomebrewCon? Hashtag HomebrewCon. Viva. Not NHC? Yes, HomebrewCon. Okay, thank you. I just, I can't just like... Talk. Just talk. Yeah. I understand. I need that. someone here, so I get scared. Don't be Thank scared. You. Thank you for the support. But yeah, uh, learn more at homebrewersassociation.org. And uh, I'll be there doing a, doing a presentation. And I know uh, one of our guests this evening is going to be moderating a very special panel there. So make sure to buy your tickets. And uh, you'll be able to see Jeff Mello's wonderful beard and beautiful face. And joined by Jeff, Isaac, and Sam now, say hello to Bootleg Biology. How's it going, guys? Hey. Hey there. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you guys so much for joining us and uh, sending us some beer. Uh, we are very happy to get uh, get that package here at the Brewing Network World Headquarters today. And they're... They're nice and chilled, and, and we're already ready to rock. Uh, Scott's opening. What are you opening there, Scott? I just, I guessed, guys. I hope I guessed right for a good starter, the Saison? Well, there's a few Saisons, so oh, oh, okay. this is one of the ones with the, the bootleg uh, sticker on the front. And what does it say up Matt top? Matt Firm plus Sour Weapon L. Yeah. Nice. Can is you guys tell us a little bit about what we're going to be drinking here first? Well... I'm going to let Don, Don's our intern. He's actually sitting in here with us, and I'm going to let him introduce it since it's his beer. Oh, hey, Don. Hey, Don. Hello. <laughs> it's a Saison. I use the Mad Fermentationalist uh, Saison blend that they sell here. And it's got its Pilsner oats, a little bit of white wheat, and um, some rye as well. 
in there, and the, and I just pitched the uh, Mad Firm blend and the uh, Lactobacillus at the same time, just kind of let it go. It actually fermented pretty cold for a for a saison, probably in the uh, upper 60s, but I think it turned out pretty well. Yeah, it's nice. You can get that cleanness, but there's definitely a nice light acidity there, some nice uh, aromatic complexity. It's a it's a good drinking beer for sure. It's way better than anyone I've ever made, so I was like, Dom, I'm gonna send your beer in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take a step back. Jeff uh, and I very briefly met. Where was that? Was that Craft Brewers Conference? I think in DC last year. Yeah, and I, I've been following your guys' progress for a long time, and we probably exchanged some emails, but for those who aren't as familiar with bootleg biology, can you tell us what you do there? Yeah, we kind of started off as a pet project of mine. Um, I was home brewing, I was living in the D.C. area, and I was messing around with wild yeast cultures. I read a BYO article from Mike Tunsmeyer about kind of using starters to make Lambic-style beers. So I put some jars out in my backyard and produce some really nasty beers with that. Um, but they had potential, and through some sleuthing, some University of Googling, I kind of self-taught myself how to isolate a yeast culture. And from there, we got our first local yeast project culture, um, Arlingtonesis, and then I was kind of hooked. And so I was like, I want to teach other people how to do this. So started the website, kind of taught how I did all those techniques in our DIY yeast section. And then from there, I was like, well, if we can do that, I might as well just start a yeast company. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm not a microbiologist whatsoever. Um, so fast forward five years, we've, I think, for the most part, figured out what we're doing. But it all kind of started off as a home brewer just being really experimental. That's awesome. And so it, it does seem like you guys are taking a, an un, unconventional approach to the the small yeast lab, what do you think makes you kind of most unique in comparison to some of the other smaller labs that are out there? Well, I think our goal is just just to be unique, you know, just to do something that no one else is doing, and then also to push the boundaries, I guess, of what uh, cultures can make beer and how you can make beer with certain cultures. Um, I didn't want to just you know, make bootleg just um, another place to get a version of the Chico strain and wanted us to be doing something that um, made better beer, better tasting beer, or kind of empowered home brewers or craft brewers to make more unique cultures or give them the ability to make beers that were closer to what their vision was. Part of that was focusing on wild cultures from the environment, but then also trying to find um, whether it's Brett cultures or souring bacteria that were unique and not commercially available anywhere else. You guys do seem to focus quite a bit on uh, wild capture. You know, you're mentioning the, what is it, Arlingtonesis? Is that what, how you pronounce yeah, that? Yeah, Arlingtonesis. Do you have to, uh, is that like an official name or you guys just, you you named it that and <laughs> sell it as that? That was me just being silly and goofing off and saying it was in my backyard in Arlington, so let's just name it after Arlingtonesis. Nice. Uh, <laughs> So I had no idea what that culture was, um, and then eventually, actually, um, we discovered that it was a wild lager culture. Um, so it, it works really well at warm and cool temps. Wow. Um, so we a lot of um, beers with that. So one of the other beers that we sent you, I think, is Sam's Baltic Porter. Sam made a Baltic Porter with Arlingtonesis, so you can kind of see what a wild lager culture can contribute to the beer. What does it give you at the warmer temperatures? Um, it actually is more um, estuary. Um, you get a, actually a little phenolics too so um, it can actually be kind of like a um, German Hef um, with really warm temps so it's really kind of this like hybrid 
culture where it does different things, different temperatures that are very unique. Is that different, you think, than um, what you would get from a lab lager yeast at warmer temperatures? Yeah, we've, we've experimented, and um, if anyone's familiar with Brewlosophy, they, they're big fans of doing warm fermented lagers, and we haven't found any that have that kind of same character at warm temps. So it's, it's really a, a unique culture that even until recently, we didn't even know it was a lager culture because we'd done some different sequencing with different labs, and it came back as just a, a Saxer BCA culture. Um, and just through our own home brewing, we just found that it worked really well um, in that hybrid temperature range, like the low 60s, kind of closer to what a, you'd make a Kolsch as. And so it just, I don't know, it just, it's a unique one that we actually haven't found any other culture that's very much like it from the wild yet. Hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. And when when you talk about sequencing for people who are maybe home brewers who are just getting into this or even even pro brewers what are what are, what are you really talking about there and what do you learn from it well you know most people who ferment beers are using brewer's yeast and brewer's yeast generally is saccharomyces cerevisiae um, or the other big one is um, pastorianus which is the lager culture um, so those are the two main yeasts that most people make beer with but you know it doesn't make or show the whole story of what you can make a beer with anyone who's familiar with lambic style beers and there's all kinds of different yeasts that you can use to make those beers but the only way you can really find out what species a yeast is is by looking at its actual genome and kind of the technique is called sequencing but it's really just a code of all of our genetics that we can pinpoint and say hey this is a specific species of a yeast or bacteria based on um, what its genome is and so we'll send those out for uh, other labs since we don't do sequencing in-house um, to get that um, specific information because when we're working with so many different wild cultures um, that's part of the fun thing is like not knowing what you're going to get it's kind of a grab bag of what's out there um, and we've had so many different unique species of cultures that we didn't know would even make beer initially and so that's been part of the fun is figuring that out awesome and yeah that was one of the questions we got and i don't have it in front of me right now so i apologize to the person who asked it i won't give credit to but uh while you're testing these wild captures or yeasts where you don't really maybe know how well it's going to be able to ferment a beer or add character to a beer what's what's the kind of overall success rate of hey you know you take this yeast you don't know what to expect from it and you end up seeing positive results well i think the the first hurdle is just can it ferment a beer you know that's you know people are sometimes concerned about the safety of some of these cultures and the normal techniques that brewers use um, to make a beer are usually the ones that require you know determine whether something's safe so can it attenuate beer you know the, the basic hurdle that i would shoot for is can it get under 10 20 um, can it drop the ph to a normal beer ph range um, low fours um, and then the most basic test you can do is does it produce co2 so when you put it in a, a sugar environment does it you know make an airlock pop um, once you get all three of those things going you can feel pretty safe about the culture and then it's a question of like will it make a good beer so i would say you know a large percentage of the cultures you work with can attenuate a beer somewhat um, a lot of them can only get it down to a small amount so they stop fermenting once they get around two or three percent alcohol so it's either alcohol tolerance or it could be just the malt profile um, some of them work better which is simple sugars that you'd find in grape ferments whereas beer has more complex sugars and so some of them can attenuate all those um, so a high percentage can do it all um, but the ones that you like is the hardest point to, to find those are the ones why that's why we haven't released a ton of these is because we have to do a lot of testing to make sure that 
they're you know easy to work with. Um, they attenuate the beer really well, and then it also makes a beer that people like and is relatively consistent. So getting to that magic formula um, is, is the tricky part. How many of these strains have you have come from? You know. I guess these kind of unexpected sources and are now commercially available from you guys. So we've only commercially released two um, local yeast cultures. We have a, a local bacteria culture, sour weapon P. So pediococcus culture um, that we do quick souring with that came from the wild. Um, but those are the only ones we've commercially released, but we've actually have in our bank over 300 cultures in our local yeast project database. We can't actually test them all. So that's one of the, the cool things is, people contribute their cultures to the local yeast project so we can get them involved um, defining these cultures um, and then they do the testing themselves because they're home brewers they're home brewing it and they're giving us their feedback um, and they're sending us their house culture and then we give them credit on our website for kind of owning their zip code from where they contribute that culture from yeah that's awesome if, if people listening out there want to get involved with that what do they do you just go to our website and you can just go to the contributors section and then just fill out a form and just tell us about your culture and then we'll follow up. And it's as simple as sending in a slurry sample of something you fermented. And from there, we'll if you haven't isolated it out, we'll isolate it and then bank the culture and send you back a pure sample. So it's it's kind of an open source project in that you know people send things to us, we'll send things back to them so they're getting something out of it too. Um, and then we're also trying to learn about these cultures. We're, we have a larger goal of you know understanding wild yeast cultures where they're from what do they do what can they grow on um, so we're actually we have a partnership that we're working on with uh, matreya dunham she's at the university of washington and she does um, most of our sequencing work and so she's trying to look for unique species of cultures in the wild and so we're working together on that do people who want to get involved with this need necessarily need kind of an extensive microbiology background or a microscope or plates and streaking equipment at home, or is there an easier way? You don't need specialized equipment. We make the backyard yeast wrangling toolkit, so it has everything you need to capture culture and isolate your own yeast strain. So that's a plug for us. But you can do all these things yourself with things you can find in your kitchen. So most people who send us a culture, you know, they're just kind of doing it themselves. They're going to our website. We have step-by-step instructions in our DIY yeast section on how to capture yeast and how to work with it. Um, so it's, it's totally something you can do, and it's, it's really not that hard. It's just a question of, are you okay with failure? You know, just speaking as a home brewer myself, you know, I want every batch I make to end up perfectly. So if you're okay with sometimes there being some variability there, sometimes it doesn't work out great, um, you can end up with a really unique culture. And so a lot of people will send us their house culture, like this is the one I've tested a bunch of things, um, but this is the one that makes me excellent beers, and I've, I've given it a special name. This is something that I want to hold on to forever. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you're going out with a girl, and, you know, you, you really want to impress her, so you buy her a star. And it's like, oh, this star has your name now. It's like, that's the new beer geek come on move. It's like, hey, baby, I wild captured this Brett, sent it to bootleg biology, got the pure culture back, brewed you this Brett IPA, and I named it after you. That's, <laughs> is, that good, is that a good move, Bevo? Yeah, that's an emphatic yes. Beaver is nodding. <laughs> It's funny that you mentioned that because we do have a new part of our website where you can name a star after your culture. So if you want to just. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. We, so we, uh, Scott ran off and got, oh, a few more beers. Uh, I brought two back in here, um, mostly because I'm sure I guessed wrong on what's good to do next. I have uh, an orange wax sealed uh, Saison Parfait. Per, parfait? Parfait. Par, 
<laughs> Part <Awesome. laughs> I'm a real yeah. cultured guy. They sell them at McDonald's. Yeah. Oh, oh, parfaits. Oh. Anyway, is, that, is this a good one to do next? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think that's a great beer. Sweet. Um, so Southern Grist is a local brewery in Nashville, and they make a lot of great beers. Um, so this is something we collab together on. So we have our Saison culture, our house Saison culture, we call Saison Parfait. And then they use our Sour Weapon P, which is our Pediococcus pentasaceus culture. So they co-pitched those together, the yeast and the bacteria. And so it was a tart farmhouse-style beer. And then I think they added... Peaches. Peaches, yeah. They added peaches to that, too. So that was the last bottle. It was kind of a ghost wheel. Oh, Ooh. Nice. Thanks for sending it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Actually, yeah, when I was... Uh in Nashville and again hanging out with Jeff and going around town with uh, our friend Brandon from Yazoo and Embrace the Funk. Uh, took me over to Southern Grist. What a great place. Really nice people and, and awesome beers. So I'm excited to try this as well. Um, you know, I'm curious about this, uh, the Sour Weapon P. You mentioned it's a, it's a quick sour. Now, when I think about that, it makes me think about kettle sours or hot side souring. And I usually don't associate that process with pediococcus. It's usually more of a lactobacillus thing. Is that what you mean by quick sour, or is this kind of intended for uh, more like the the barrel aging, longer uh, longer term sour beer production? Yeah, this is definitely meant for kind of like the front end of fermentation. This is like either co pitching with a sac culture, or pitching um, in the kettle um, when it's warm, um, running off wort. So it was kind of an accidental thing. We were trying to find a lactoculture that we really liked, and we were going through all of our wild bacteria samples. And this culture just always was just brutally effective at dropping the pH, um, had a really nice acid profile. And then we figured out that it was a PDO culture, and we're like, ah, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) And then we kept on making beers with it. We're like... It actually makes a really good quick sour beer, and it's a pedio culture. And then after we had it sequenced, we found out it was uh, Pediococcus pentasaceus, which I'm not sure if people had been quick souring with that before, but it was new to us. And I think it opened people's eyes a little bit about using pedio in that way, because most of us know of pedio damnosis in those long-term kind of barrel-aged scenarios. But it has, I think, a lot of the benefits of PDO without a lot of the negatives. So we don't get any ropiness from it. You don't get those exopolysaccharides. You don't get any diacetyl from this. Um, and it adds a lot of acidity very quickly. So the, the trade-off is that, of course, like a lot of bacteria, you know, it is sensitive to IBUs. So in the using it as a quick sour co-pitch in a beer with yeast um, with no or little IBUs, it works really well. Yeah, I think this is great beer. This there's a cool like Fruit Loops. Yeah, I was going to say like cotton candy, but yeah. that's I know that can be an off flavor in beer, so it does it's not an. Oh, off yeah, sometimes cereal can be associated with some like like Cheerios, sure, THC, but I, I don't mean it in that way at all. It's like it is kind of that like sweet, fruity, simple, sugary right. kind yep. of thing, and yeah, it's 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 quite good. So mm-hmm. you're saying that this was the saison. What, how did you pronounce this, Scott? Parfit? Parfit. Um, par- <laughs> parfit. Yeah. Uh, and Sour Weapon P. So that, that, that's both in primary. And uh, is that is that your guys' recommended use if the people combine this, or is it kind of open to interpretation? I think however you want to use it, I think just for the most part, it's 
um, works best when it's used on the front end. So either, you know, souring before you introduce the yeast or co-pitching it at the same time. Yeah, it's very tasty. Let's see. I think we're running up against a, a break. I'm going to do one question, and then maybe if you guys aren't drinking too many beers, we can just tease it out. We'll answer it when we get back from the break. Does that sound good? Sounds good. All right. It's from our friend Dan Pixley on Milk the Funk, and <laughs> this whole question might take me a few minutes, so <laughs> settle in. Uh, question for Jeff. How many wild-caught Britannomyces strains have you, parentheses, or others found and sorry, and parentheses found, comma, and <laughs> you like the punctuation reading there, Scott? So far, me sounding out parfait is a step up. I sound you're parfait. Doing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what regions and vectors have they been found on? How confident are you that they did not originate from a brewery, but actually occur naturally in the wild? Comment on the last sour hour where the caller was getting EPS and kettle sours only with his culture. Jenna Blair. Shout out to our quality manager at the Rare Barrel. Nailed the answer, in my opinion. A recent study shows that a ropey strain of L, lacto, plantarum, survived better when EPS was created. So EPS is a stress response that benefits from the microbe survival. So when he pitches his culture into an acidic environment, it's creating the EPS while pitching it into the regular beer environment. The EPS producing lactic acid bacteria isn't as stress and doesn't create ropiness. The end. <laughs> and I just have to say there's a comment after that from our friend Brandon Jones. Quote, a beer must get sick to be stronger. Jean Venois. <laughs> so ponder the answer to those five or six questions. And uh, we'll take a quick break and be right back with bootleg biology. This is the sour email that question to them so that they can yeah, read it read several it times. Break. Yeah. If you guys go on Milk the Funk, if you're in front of a computer, you'll, I'll you can... i on Facebook. Yeah. Thank you. It's it's the first comment from Dan. Bigo, now can I do my outro? I didn't mean to After stomp you all over you. I apologize. This is the... Sa- <laughs> hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. This is Jamel Zanishev, and I want to tell you about Heretic Evil Twin. You might be familiar with my homebrew recipe, which uses massive late hopping to create a balance between the malty sweet and the hoppy bitter, along with an outrageous malt and hop character. I wanted a beer with the same bold hop and malt character, so we played around with the homebrew recipe until we were able to make a great commercial version, too. We've created a beer rich in malt character, full of caramel, toast, biscuit, and an ever-so-subtle roast note. On top of that, we piled in an insane amount of citra and Columbus hops at the end of the boil, as well as in dry hopping. This damn-the-cost approach to hopping gives Heretic's Evil Twin a great blast of citrus and tropical fruit that can't be matched by any other hop. The result is a bold, malty, hoppy, but easy-drinking beer. This is our top seller, our flagship beer, and I couldn't be prouder of it. Cheers. To find Heretic Beers near you, click on Find Some at hereticbrewing.com. Brought to you by 
our good friends at Neshaminy Creek Brewing. Nailed it. <laughs> As always. <laughs> uh, they're going to send us some smoke beer, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, Jeremy said they're uh, fermenting away on uh, the latest batch of uh, Croydon is, is burning. Croydon is burning, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah I'm sure he's eating a parfait from uh, McDonald's while he watches the ferment of the beer. I can't pronounce anything today. We're the best. Anyway, Three, we're going to get some. Yeah. We're going to get some from in a couple of weeks. The three-time Billy Scene Mac... Billy, jeez, what is going on? Philly Jean is not full of marbles. Philly Scene Magazine, Brewer of the Year, Go Eagles, two-time GABF Vienna-style lager medal winner, a bronze for smoke lager, well, two bronzes now for smoke lager. Yep. Renovated tasting room with a variety of beer styles from hoppy double IPAs to sessionable, poundable lagers, oak fermented saisons, and sour beers. Free brewery tours on Saturdays. New second location opening one year ago. <laughs> Check them out. ShamanyCreekBrewing.com. Yep. And we're back with the guys from Bootleg Biology, and we have a new beer open here, Scott. Pouring what are now. we What are we pouring? This one is the Black Tick Portier. Parfait. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Uh, it's an 8% uh, Baltic Porter. S. Arlington East. Boom. Tell us about this one. All right, I'll let Sam talk about it since he's the... All right, yeah, it's a... Um, so, yeah. Hey, wait, 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 wait. Guys, guys, guys. Sorry, sorry, something got wonky with the audio. Did someone, like, open a program or something? I don't think so. Oh, how weird. Um, I'm going to hang the call up and just call you guys right back. Are you some... in a helicopter? Yeah, totally. Something got super weird. <laughs> I'm going to hang up and call back, okay? Okay. All right. That was weird. Sounds like a cell phone yeah. like, going yeah. off. Technology, man. Elevator music. Can we get some elevator music while we wait? Enemy. Do you yeah, think yeah. If, if you just could, you just call them? Uh, yeah, but the f- that that quality is even worse. It I, is. I'd rather, I'd, like, we'll do. No, that. I, I mean like call them from Skype. Oh, um, yes, but uh, that quality is not good either. It's bad too. Yeah. yeah so okay. I'm gonna just try and call them. We're gonna get some uh, some hold music going in the meantime. Here. <laughs> I think I know this song. Yeah, this and is. And like, I think I love it. This is the standard. It's funny you say that, B. This is like the standard. I brought this up on this show before. This is like the <laughs> standard hold music across all hold platforms yes. since like 1982, when some guy wrote it on his Casio, and it's somehow there's a whole Sam. This American Life on on this song, wow. whole episode of the show about hold music and how people like in the pre-internet days in 1991. We're trying to seek this out. They loved it, and they were like, "How can I get a copy of the hold music that I when I from when I called uh, you know AT and T?" So uh, you guys can enjoy this and relax while I try to. What this reminds me of the the eighty song that it's a little slower, but it's like here, let me catch the flow. Like spell something out. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. You can dance if you want to. You yes, that's it. That's it. It's like a slow jams. You can dance if you want to. It it, it is. Wow. Thank you for backing me up on that. <laughs> See if I can from uh, from. Oh, men. you're welcome. That's is that uh, Men Without Hats safety dance. That is Men Without. Of hats course, it's Men Without dance. Hats, Scott. Duh. Yeah. Oh, all right. Sure. This is Casio all the way. Oh yeah. All right, so these guys were back up on Skype like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> let's, let's bring them back into the song. Are you guys there? Yes, problem solved. Are you guys big men with hats? Yeah, we're, we're going to enjoy some safety dance. I believe it's without hats. Men without hats. Hold the line. Wow. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> All right. Are you guys wearing hats over there or no? <laughs> We've got, we've got one hat. Yeah, no, one no hat. So a bunch of guys without hats on the on the line. It's perfect. It's like we're talking to the band. There you go. All we're right. sharing the hat. Don't worry. Back to the show. It's a great South Park where Butters dances to that. Uh, was that us coming back from the break? Uh, and then we no, asked about the no beer. Yeah. yeah, the the, the beer. The they, Baltic they Porter. described the beer, but we were both distracted by the audio. Oh yeah, so I, I did write down some questions. I'm glad I did that. So you mentioned that it's you know you get a different character than a standard logger. Like, what is different about it? What was the Starting gravity, finish, gravity of this beer, what temperature does it ferment at? Maybe some of those particulars would, would put that comment in, in context. Sure. This beer started at, I uh, believe, around 1090 and finished just under 1030. <laughs> um, I, uh, I was really worried about it for a while because it kind of slowed down at the end. Um, but uh, but I think it, it's uh, it's okay for the uh, for the finished product. It came out clean still, so I didn't get any uh, too too bad of esters or anything. And uh, the different character, I guess, is um, when we compared it. We did a side by side of this in a, a Schwartz beer uh, with Arlingtonesis and um, a more traditional German lager strain. And uh, the flavor to us was just sort of more well rounded. It wasn't as uh, you know. I, I guess. Uh, the biggest comparison I get is sort of um, indescribable thing of like lager like that I associate with like a, a macro, you know, lager that I grew up with. Uh, that sort of like sulfury ish thing that uh, most lagers have. So uh, I think that the, the Arlingtonesis culture sort of rounds that out a little better and uh, just sort of differentiates it. It seems generally just less like one note. Yeah, it seems richer, like the malt character just seemed richer yeah. in some ways. So what are some of the recommended styles you guys would kind of pair this this with? We've done um, Schwartz beers. We've done lighter lagers, obviously Baltic Porter. I, w- I would say you could probably use it in a Kolsch. Yeah, I've use used it in a Kolsch a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. You could use it in you know, any, of those, any of those sort of uh, clean ales that you want to ferment in the 60s. Kind of want to try like an IPL. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. for sure. It would be a good job. Yeah, those are all good recommendations, and I I think this does lend itself well to the maltiness. This beer's got a lot of the malt character going on. You know, in the hubbub, Scott, I almost forgot the soliloquy of Dan's question from before the break. <laughs> yes. Did you guys you get a few? Get did you guys get a few hours to review that? And uh, do you have any thoughts? Well, we actually have a ten-page response that we'll release on the internet in about a month. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, I love Dan. Dan is awesome. He's kind of like the the wiki guru and kind of like the massive encyclopedia behind uh, Melt the Funk. He always asks really good questions. So I think the first one was about how often do we find Brett in the wild? And I would say the answer is very rarely. I think a lot of people who get excited about trying to find wild cultures often expect to find a Brett culture, and then they're shocked when oftentimes we just find a sack Cerevisiae culture. So it's pretty rare. We found a few. Part of our thing with Matreya is she's running our cultures against other cultures that are publicly available, whether they're industrial strings or what or whatnot, so we can make sure that we're not picking up any cultures that are already commercially available in some way. Um, so it's not very common. Um, but we have found some interesting ones. So uh, there was a home brewer in Thailand um, who sent us 
uh, culture that he grew up, some Thai peppers, and he had no idea what he had found. He just grew them from Thai peppers and sent it snail mail from Thailand and arrived two weeks later. And uh, we actually found three different Brett cultures on that. But that's kind of a rarity. Um, occasionally we'll get in a cool ship sample from someone, um, but it's not common. And actually most most often after Cerevisiae culture is um, usually a Pikea culture or Lacansia, which has kind of become kind of a, a buzzword yeast in the, the sour beer community. I like the, the Thai chili one. Do you guys, does that look like a candidate for making beer with? Yeah, definitely. We've done a, a lot of different um, testing, so it just depends on whether you want a primary Brett culture where you're emphasizing some of the fruitier qualities or a secondary where you just like some of that, that funk. Um, so that's some of the things that we've tested for, so it's definitely something that might be in the pipeline. Let me quickly read this uh, follow-up from Zeph from the chat room. He said, uh, I'll follow up and say that I did try cultivating yeast from the skins of some varieties of cherries. And the cultures did show signs of fermentation, but wound up growing some mold colonies. So I did not move forward you know, with a, a full ferment. Is that a sample, he asks, worth sending in or trying to plate out the yeast cultures? I mean, mold is definitely our enemy. You know, it's... It's, it grows very quickly. Um, it responds to oxygen-rich environments. So I would say most likely there was a lot of oxygen in that, um, in that test batch. Um, so that's, that's the big thing is getting it in a container with an airlock. So once fermentation kicks off, uh, the CO2 can purge all the oxygen, and it definitely reduces the chance of, of mold growth. But that being said, um, the culture that we got Arlingtonesis from, that was actually a moldy jar that smelled really good but had a nice layer of mold on it so i definitely wouldn't have drank that um, so that was a fun thing to experiment with trying to isolate a culture from so it, it doesn't mean it, you can't find it it just means it's probably going to require a little more work maybe some isolating on a plate to get it so if a mold covered something still smells good but there's mold present is that just the mold that, well I, i'm wondering like does this, is the mold young or like what, how you know how do you account for that does not all mold smell <laughs> it's probably just a reflection on my uh, aroma capability. Oh, your olfactory <laughs> senses suck? Okay, gotcha. <laughs> All right, I got another question from Milk the Funk. Great Facebook group. From Justin... Oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> I pressed another button on my phone, and oh, now no. it's gone. Here, you know what? I'll let, while you're looking that back up, here's, yes. here's another Daniel. This one's Daniel from McKellar. He wants to know, guys, how does Jeff keep his beard so tight and sexy? <laughs> Only the hard hitting questions here. <laughs> well, I figured, I, you know, a quick I've, one I've while been you. I've trying uh, to get Jeff to tell me that for a while, and it's a pretty, uh, it's a locked up secret. Oh, it's yeah. a closely guarded it's, secret. Let's refer to it as a trade secret in the business. So. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Daniel. Figure it out for yourself. <laughs> I know we did have a few questions about uh, Jeff. When are you going to culture something out of your beard? <laughs> I think in general, I try to keep a, a no human body sourcing of yeast in general. Good rule. Um, that being said, you can get yeast from some really unique sources. So I think that's something people ask us a lot, too, is, like, what are the best places to find yeast? I mean, you can get it from the open air, you know, kind of like Lambic Cool Ship style. Um, you can get it um, from fruit, vegetables. I would say if you really want to, you know, significantly increase your chances of finding that something that's usable, I would go for fruit. Um, spring, summer, fall, um, kind of the opposite of the Lambic calendar is really when you're going to find the most cultures growing out there in the wild you know a fun thing to do is when you go on vacation or you go on a hike or something is try to find wild berries that are growing and then you know as long as it's ripe or even overripe 
there's probably a good chance you're going to find a yeast culture on that. Um, so that's usually where we find the, the highest um, likelihood of a good sac culture or any other wild cultures on those, on those fruit. I will just jump in for a second and say that that's one of the only other places that we've found uh, Brett that I can think of off the top of my head has been off of uh, Chardonnay grape skins. Hmm. Nice. Who was it that did the beard beer? There was a commercial beard beer, wasn't was there? Rogue. Rogue. Yeah, that was That's Rogue. right. <laughs> yeah. They didn't. They didn't employ your no human body rule, which I your rule is great. <laughs> I, lo- I love Rogue, but uh, you know, good rule. All right, I got the question back, Justin Emerald. As someone running a yeast lab themselves, I'd be curious to know how you all, or if you're in Nashville, y'all, are approaching. <laughs> Welcome rap- to Nashville, y'all. I'm Ether. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone coming to CBC, you're going to hear that at the airport. Just, just so there's just some context. Up. <laughs> up, sorry. Quick side story: I landed in Nashville for the first time, and so excited, and get off the plane, go to get my luggage. There's an announcement over the, the you know the speaker system. It's like. Hey, y'all, if you left your guitar picks at gate 73, we found them. Please come get them back. We got them right here. So it's just like. Just in case you didn't know what airport you were in. That was just. And at my gate, when I walked out, there was live music right there already at the airport. So Nashville's a great city. Can't wait to go back. It been usage because it probably has someone's guitar in it. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Um, So anyway, back to Justin's question. He's curious how y'all are approaching rapid detection of contaminant microbes, such as Saccharomyces cerevisiae var diastaticus. We are currently working with another lab to figure this out, and thanks to the advice of Richard Price, we are looking at a long, long read sequencing of the STA1 gene from known Saccharomyces diastaticus strains, which could possibly open the door for immunological testing. But I'd be curious to hear your thoughts and how you all are y'all are approaching it. Beav- that was difficult to read. Yeah, Beav is frantically waving her hand around. Let, let the bootleg guys answer this one, okay? Yeah. Go ahead, guys. <laughs> yeah, I'll, pa- I'll, I'll, I'll let, let you guys do this it, one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, luckily, there's actually a lot of companies that have put devices that are kind of combination thermocyclers and um, enzymes that kind of do rapid detection. So that's a fun thing for a lot of breweries to have in-house is something they can do rapid detection of bread and LAB and other fun um, contaminating yeast cultures. Um, And I think it's actually something a lot of breweries wish they had and and don't necessarily do um, is kind of knowing kind of ahead of time when they have a contaminant. So luckily, with a lot of people talking about things like diastaticus or potentially having contamination from bread or something like that, it's opening people's eyes up to the fact that you know making clean beer is actually really hard. It's hard to make really good sour beer, but it's not hard to make a beer that's contaminated with uh, wild cultures. That's a fun thing to, to think about is just you know, how do you find the right cultures and how do you do it quickly? For us, I think it's also an interesting question is like, you know, why is diastaticus in certain beers and cultures you know it seems like more and more people are realizing that a lot of these saison cultures have that gene and are are, you know a boogeyman that isn't necessarily a wild yeast but can over a tin get a beer but i think for the most part brewers home brewers breweries you know if you have any kind of contamination whether it's wild yeast or bacteria or whatnot there's really some kind of fundamental issue that's causing that um, whether it's some kind of un 
unforeseen thing that's not getting cleaned, you know, a spray ball that's clogged or, you know, your heat exchange that hasn't been cleaned for a while, your stack um, that isn't properly venting. There's a lot of things like that that once they're fixed, um, things like contamination really are kind of a, should be an afterthought once you're doing all the right procedures and you're sanitizing, sanitizing correctly. What about at the, the, the yeast lab level? Should people be, you know, worried about the lab that they get their, you know, regular yeast from having that? Or how can they check for that if they're worried that they're going to get an over-attenuative sac C strain? I mean, I think it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a concern. You know, your yeast lab, you know, if you, speaking from our experience, like we spend a lot of time propping pure cultures and we spend a lot of time dumping things that aren't 100% pure because if it's pure, then it has to be exactly what it is. You know, a lot of times what we find actually is there's certain bacteria that um, are very um, heat tolerant that can survive the um, autoclaving process. So, you know, brewers boil warts and that works for the most part. But for yeast labs, they, they generally they have to autoclave or they have to get a temperature of close to 250 um, Fahrenheit to truly sterilize their growth media. And there are some bacteria that can even survive close to those temperatures. And so that's a very common thing that, you know, yeast labs probably have to deal with. Um, and so some may introduce hops into their propagation method to help inhibit those. And that's part of the reason why brewers don't, don't deal with that bacteria so much because of hops and presence of ethanol. But it's something that, you know, a yeast lab, if they're doing everything they should be doing, which is starting things clean on a plate and then propagating everything in a sterile growth media, any kind of contamination shouldn't ever be there and gets right. caught pretty quickly. Right, it would show up immediately. And from our perspective, I mean, we check it at every step in the process. So like you said, we end up dumping things and we end up being frustrated by that if it happens, but luckily it doesn't happen that often. Yep. Well, I think we're running up against our show break. Can you guys hang on for a little bit longer and talk some more beer? Yeah, let's do it. Good, because we have more beer. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Thanks so much to our guests from Bootleg Biology and for spending their time with us this evening. Thank you to all the great sponsors of the Sour Hour. Reminder, uh, we should talk to Jeff actually next show about his, uh, he's moderating a panel at hashtag HomebrewCon. HomebrewCon. Thanks to all the sponsors, all the listeners, Scott, Bevo, everybody, myself. Until next time. Stay sour. I'm, I'm, I'm screwing that up. Can we ring it? Okay, let's bring it back. I've been bad. I think I missed the last, like, five. Yeah, well, a couple were your staff's fault. Okay, let's not screw this one up. But until next time, stay sour. It's, it's weird. Don't bring me down.